Welcome to episode 106 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my technologically challenged co-host, Dalton Willie and producer Johnny Pham. Guys, how are we doing today? Uh, well, Devontae Parker just made the bag for the New England Patriots for no reason. So it's a great day to be not great, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, John and I were talking about that. We were waiting for you. Three years, $33 million. I, I don't know what the um, the guarantees are in that or anything, but just base level, it looks pretty similar to Jacoby Myers, different players, I know, but I, I don't really don't really get it. Ne- neither here nor there. Johnny, how are you today? Doing good. Uh, not as good as Devontae Parker because he got the bag. Clearly, um, clearly. Doing good. Happy to be here. At the lot of rounds at Torrey Pines that Devontae Parker can now play. He can play a lot of rounds there now. <laughs> no way to figure out the math there. <laughs> no way. All right. We've got a fun show um, on deck today. Obviously, we, we've been off for about a month, three weeks or so, but we are back on a weekly basis from here until the end of the regular season. Obviously, circumstances happen and we may not be every week depending on, on things, but the plan is weekly and we are going to start off with running back and tight end ranks this week. Dalton and I took a stab at at those for the first time, and it was a, an interesting exercise, I'll say. But first, we're going to start with uh, some player props. And, you know, I should have, if I were a prepared podcast host, had this tweet up. Let me find it here. You know, last season, 47-22 and 22 was this podcast combined record on player props. Pretty good. Pretty good. Would have done pretty well telling us last year. This year can't make those same exact promises, but we're shooting, shooting for something in that range. Dalton, I'll start you off um, with this one. Chris Olave over under one thousand and a half receiving yards, and I'm gonna I'll, I'll give the the odds for each one too um, to lead into this. So it's minus one ten for both the over and the under for this one. So not juiced either way. Yes, yeah, this. Is this a fake line? Like, did we make this one up? Where, where, where is this from? No, these, these are all from DraftKings. And I went and after, I think I think I sent this to you. You See, you're you're throwing off our 30-minute timer. So, Johnny, hope you haven't started the 30-second timer. Excuse me. Yeah, for this one. So, these are all from DraftKings. Okay, Dalton's 20 seconds in. He's going to have no answer for this one. Um, but, yeah, I put down real money on this one the other day when when we saw. But, Dalton, go ahead. Get Johnny, restart the clock. Give the man his 30 seconds back. Let's go. I just don't really understand this Chris Olave prop. I mean, it's at 1,000 and a half. And last year he had 1,043. Mm-hmm. He had an upgrade at quarterback. And the only significant addition to that wide receiver room would be a healthy Michael Thomas. We're forgetting he had 300 air yards in a game last year. And the only reason he didn't convert more of those into actual yards is because his quarterback was incredibly inaccurate on throws of 10-plus yards downfield. Chris Olave is a great separator, and Derek Carr is a way better downfall, down down the field thrower. So, I mean, I think this is an easy smash. I think he's an 1,100-, 1,200-yard receiver this season without much problem. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on on the over here for Olave as well. Um you know, I, I have this stat that I've given a lot. Since 2012, he's fifth in routes and yards per route run among rookie receivers. Odell Beckham Jr., Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, and Jamar Chase are the only guys in front of him. Um, you mentioned he was at 1,042, got a major QB upgrade. Would have been like 1,100. He had a 60, like 50-yard bomb that should have been called a catch that literally just wasn't 
So that was fun. But yeah, I've got this as an easy over for Olave. Yeah. Yeah, I have the uh, over two. He basically hit it in 15 games. I think the only way he doesn't mm-hmm. hit it if he just isn't on the field for mm-hmm. more than 15. QB upgrade, I am actively placing the bet right now. <laughs> and also, Johnny, um, do, you, do you have the spreadsheet pulled up or can you get it pulled up to keep track of these? Yeah, I, I have it updated. Great. Love that. All right. Bijan Robinson, over, under, 1100 and a half rushing yards the over plus 100 so vegas is doubting them a little bit here the under at minus 120 dalton what do you say yeah this is another one where at first the line looks pretty high but when you look at tyler algier last year he had 1043 yards in the same offense the falcons had the league high at 35 rush attempts a game and i think that they're going to continue to run heavy Arthur Smith's an incredibly run-heavy coach. So I'm taking the over on this. I think Bijan is yards above Tyler Algier when it comes to talent. I think the Falcons are going to continue to run the ball. Their defense got better over the offseason, so they're going to continue to be in positive game scripts where they can run the ball. And their offensive line, I think, is a top-10 unit in the NFL, which is going to be opening up some pretty good holes for Bijan. So I think this is another one I'm taking the over on. I don't think he's going to have a slow start to the NFL. I think he's going to be their guy lock and load it week one. I'm taking the over here as well, but I think if I were placing real life bets, I probably would stay away from this one just because like, I wouldn't be shocked to see um, Algier, Cordero Patterson, both those guys be somewhat involved because both, both are good players. Now, Bijan will be the main guy, but I wouldn't be surprised like, if he had 1,050 yards and then 500 receiving yards and that 1,500 to like, that wouldn't be shocking to me. But if he really is the elite rusher, like Jonathan Taylor, like Zeke, like Saquon coming into the league, he's going to hit this number if he's healthy. All of those guys did easily as rookies. Yeah, same with me. I think he goes over if he's healthy, plays all the games he needs to. Easy over for me. The uh, It's funny. I was looking back. I was, I was surprised that Jonathan Taylor actually hit this number as a rookie because I, I'm sure you guys remember and people out there listening – probably do too how up and down and mostly down his usage was uh for about the first four to six weeks like frank reich was giving him like five carries in some games and still jonathan taylor was he he cleared this by like 100 yards i think and he even missed time that year can you uh can you guys name the three rookies that rushed for over a thousand yards last year three rookies well i know tyler algiers one dalton just uh mentioned that kenneth walker's definitely the second one the third one, obviously, it would have been Brees Hall. Um, hmm. Dalton, who are their rookie running? Are these only running backs? Yeah, uh, only only running backs. It's not Pacheco. He had eight hundred and some change. Um, you guys want the division? Sure. AFC. Are you gonna give us division? There's just conference. Just conference. Sorry. Okay. AFC. Okay. Um, I don't know. I'm like completely blanking on who the other good rookies are. AFC South. AFC. Oh, oh Damian Pierce. Pierce. God damn it. We should have got that one. False. Wait, really? It was Travis Etienne. Uh, he was not a rookie last year. It's the, it's, it's the, the, it's the Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell thing. Uh, yep. The show up next podcast wearing, wearing my t-shirt. Wearing my T-shirt with the rookie definition on it. I hate you so much for that one. I thought I was just missing it hard. I mean, we we were, but also 
good good dupe by Johnny. Good pull, by the way. I don't know if you just were like looking at that or just. No. I mean, he's not a rookie. He was injured his first season. It was his second season in the NFL. Well, technically, like technically, he is a rookie because he could have won. He is a rookie. Could have won offensive rookie of the I, year. I don't care. He's a rookie. <laughs> he's not a rookie. <laughs> you said he's now, a rookie. There's a clue now, of you saying it. Now I'm just confused. All right. J.K. Dobbins, his over-under um, for rushing is 800 and a half. The over is minus 120 and under is plus 100. So Vegas is telling us they think Dobbins is more likely than not to hit this number. I'll, I'll start here. Like the dude played eight games last year, was hurt for half of them and wasn't quite 100% when he came back and had 520 yards. If you just look at the four games post-injury when he came back, he, he was on a 1,300 and change yard pace. Now, that's not what he's going to do this year. I'm not saying that. But the Ravens were a terrible team in that stretch, two and two. The most carries he had was 17. The most points they scored in that stretch was 17. No Lamar Jackson. I think this offense is going to be efficient, effective, and just high-flying this year. I, I'm slamming this over for Dobbins. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm taking the over on this. I mean, he would have to average 53 and a half yards a game over 16 games to do this. And it's almost like whoever made this line just looked at his rookie season and extrapolated that out where he finished like 805 yards over 15 games. But he was only getting close to like, I think it was 11 or 12 carries a game. Uh, I think we're both high on the Todd Bunkin offense. I think they're going to run it a lot uh, with JK, especially. I think they're going to spread it out. And in general, I think the only reason he doesn't hit this would be an injury style. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Orla the Orlando Brown media tour. Um, touchdown with with Baltimore the other day with, with him saying that uh god I can't even think I'm blanking on their old offensive coordinator's name but he was holding back Lamar as a passer so it's like everybody Greg I, I, yeah Greg Roman I'm a little afraid that we're all on the same side with what the issue was in Baltimore and what and now it's going to be a lot better it always never works out as cleanly as we think but I I think I think over here pretty easy yeah yeah I'm going over here as well all right, fourth one here, two more left on the board. Go to the quarterback position with Geno Smith. His over-under for passing yards is at 3,900-and-a-half, minus 105 on the over, minus 115 on the under. Dalton, what are you taking here? Yeah, I'm pretty steady on the over for this one. Last season, Geno had 4,200 passing yards pretty easily, especially with the slowdown they had in the, the latter half of that season. Uh, I think with the addition of JSN, they're going to run less 12 personnel and more 11 personnel, give them the opportunity to spread the ball out more. Obviously, they have better playmakers. They had two rookies on their offensive line last year. I expect their pass blocking to get better to give Geno more time. Uh, and he has an entire year under Shane Waldron's system. I, I don't see how he doesn't hit 4,200 yards. Yeah, I'm I'm with you here. This is another over. I'm get, also getting nervous. I'm going all overs. That, that never tends to work out well. But I... I you like you said, three receivers. I, I like them all. This is probably one of the best trios in the league. Um, JSN stud route runner to add to that group. I could see Gino having an even better year than he had last year. Like you said, second year in the system, playmaker um, improvement with JSN added. The other guys are still awesome. I, this is again another pretty easy over for me. Yeah, I'm loving the over. I just scared that the over like something's <laughs> just gonna go wrong where like maybe last year is just gino's absolute ceiling and he just throws to 36 this year 
no idea, but I, I still like the over here. What could go wrong is Geno Smith reverts back to, to previous Geno Smith and he like gets benched eight games into the season. That's what could go wrong. That's and now, now I'm afraid of what, what, what I just said. Um, all right, last one here. Let's go to Buffalo. Gabe Davis, his over-under for receiving yards is 775 and a half. The over is minus 105. The under is minus 115. And I'm going to make this a first for me today and take the under on Gabe Davis because that's just where I like to live on, on Gabe Davis is doubting him. I think Clear Shakir is going to have a little bit of a bigger role in the offense this year. Dalton Kincaid could very easily be the number two, if not just take away volume um, from Gabe Davis. Dawson Knox is still there. And Davis was a slight over at this number in 15 games last year. Some will say the ankle injury slowed him down later in the season. I kind of just think that's who he is. So I think he's going to be hovering around this number, and with worse injury luck, he could be under, or more guys taking away from his production, he could also be under. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty lockstep with you today. Unfortunately, I'm also taking the under on this. Uh, I will probably talk about this more next week, but I think Josh Allen might have some regression this season, two years remove from Dabble. I think there's a slight weapon upgrade between Shaquille, uh, Cleo Shakir, Deontay Hardy, and Dalton Kincaid, as well as more involvement from James Cook that's going to result in this offense spreading it out more. And, I mean, he had 200 yards in the Steelers game that got him like a sixth of the way there to the stat line, and they mm-hmm. just stopped covering him. It's going to take that again for him to get close to the stat line. I will only hit the over so we don't all agree <laughs> on every single one. <laughs> That's the only ration. I, I, I like the under, but I will go over here for the I mean if if you think under, just take under. Just take what you think. No, well I'm we're gonna, gonna go we're over. we're doing five a week for like the next month and a half. So we're we're clearly gonna have disagreements. Nope. I will I will I don't wanna <laughs> Put my flag on Gabe Davis, but I will for today. What I will say is if you're going to bet the the under for you or for anybody, just wait a little bit. I don't, this number might fluctuate, but it'll probably stay pretty similar. Just wait and make completely sure that you know Stefan Diggs is going to be there. Because if for some reason he's not, then then yeah, he he's that number's going to change, number one. And number two, if Stefan Diggs were magically to be traded – in the next month and a half, you'd feel pretty bad about actually putting money down on the under here. Yeah, you definitely would. Or but if they sign D Hop magically, now easy. Yeah, or like Dalton, I know you've already you were, you were saying if DeAndre Hopkins were to sign there, that would also make the under a lot more likely. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of variables um, up in the air for that one, and a lot of variables in the running back ranks, Dalton. And let let's just jump right into it um like i said we did the ranks um i have a newsletter that will go out by the time people are listening to this podcast i'll have johnny put the link in there so people can pull up the full ranks if they want to um also for the sake of the show there they are i will be toggling these in and out on on youtube throughout for anybody in here watching or anybody who who comes back to this video at a later point um Dalton any any big takeaways or or any like just big overarching thoughts on the running back position um after your first stab at these ranks yeah I think after it's probably 12 or 13 in my ranks I think the position gets incredibly flat for like 14 guys uh it's really easy for me to go look at somebody like I mean even Cam Akers I have a way down 22 
I could very easily see him finishing at 14 and Najee Harris finishing at 23. And then like Travis Etienne and Najee Harris are another two guys where I feel like you could basically put them anywhere in that range of outcomes. And you're pretty consistently going to hit. Uh, for me, I think past 25, which is Alexander Madison, you you start getting into like these unflat Oh, this is so funny. This is literally like this is almost word for word what I was going to say. <laughs> Except you, you and I have slightly different top twelves. We can get to that. You have ETN lower than me. ETN's in my top twelve. Mixon's in your top twelve. I think that's the only difference. Mm-hmm. The orders are a little different, but just in the actual guys. And yeah, I, I think the top twelve. Obviously, the elite guy. Like, there's a little bit of a tear break from like the top three or four guys to the next like set of guys, but the top twelve. You feel pretty good about and then 13 to 25 it's like all of those guys have their warts whether it is talent situation injury concern you know whatever the case may be and then once you get past 25 and for me that last guy was david montgomery was that cutoff once you get past david montgomery it's like there's all kinds of of uncertainty and it's dart throws and it's yeah it it, that that was my biggest takeaway after doing these running back ranks as well. Great. So so we both <laughs> had the same takeaway with the running back rankings, and it's the exact same cutoff. The only difference in our top 25 really is that I, I snuck Dalvin Cook in there despite him not being on a team right now. Well, and see, so that that's just the difference in, I don't even want to say philosophy. It's just I, I, did, I wanted to do less adjusting on the actual document so i like kareem hunt ezekiel elliott learn for that dalvin cook i don't have any of those guys ranked right now just because they're not signed anywhere obviously they'll all be ranked uh when slash if you know likely win for all of them they they sign somewhere so yeah that'll that'll move some things around a little bit but i'm already was like concerned about potential backfields they may be signing with like what to do with those guys in the ranks. So that transitions into the, the second thing I wanted to just touch on before we talk about specific ranks here. Did you have any guys that jumped out to you as like the toughest to rank in the running back position? Yeah, I, I really had three guys. I mean, my first one is, is Ramondre Stevenson, who we're really pretty, pretty big fans of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I have multiple concerns with this Patriots offense. The first is it's Bill O'Brien running it and Bill Belichick and, They've had their history of disagreements. And then we're, we're all really strongly penciling in Ramondre for like an every down 80% role to get here. And he got that last year because a lot of the backfield behind him just was not good. And I'm, I still feel like they're open to getting another guy on that roster. And my bigger concern is I just don't know if New England's going to give him that every down work. And we're really going to need that because I think the Patriots offense as a whole is going to be pretty subpar because i wanted to rank him higher i know you have him five spots higher than me yeah but yeah, I, didn't, I didn't realize you had him down at 15 i missed that so we have two differences in our t- i guess yeah. you have aaron jones in your top 12 i don't that's the other that's the other yeah. spot and i mean of the guys in front of him especially those five between Mixon, dobbins breeze hall and harris i feel like he's a better player than Najee harris but i know Najee harris is going to be on the field way more significantly than Ramondre stevenson is would we be surprised if like Pierre Strong or Ty Montgomery come out and get five to six targets week one? Here's the thing. No, I wouldn't be surprised by that. But this is why. So I had I had Najee Harris as one of my tougher guys to rank because we're starting to get a little Jalen Warren buzz. And I think a lot of people who watched Steelers last year, including me, 
were like, hey, this Jalen Warren guy is kind of outplaying Najee Harris right now. And I'm, you know, I know the Steelers have pretty traditionally been a, a one lead back and then mix another guy in there as like a 20% snap share kind of guy. I think they're going to have to get Warren on the field more than that. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous about where I have Najee ranked personally at, at 13 if that does happen and if he plays how he did last season and if Warren shows how he did last season. Yeah. I, with me, I'm just sticking with the history. And then it's also a lot of that's coming from Steelers Twitter saying like, this guy's looking good in camp. And I think Steelers Twitter is probably like one of the bottom three fan bases. On- I, I, I agree, but I just put a little bit of weight behind it because yeah. I saw him with my own eyes look good in games and better than Najee at times in games last season. Which is funny because you actually have Najee in front of me. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I'm more sure about where I have him. Yeah, and it's just like I, I don't know. It, it just kind of speaks to like we said. It, it's very flat. Once, once you get pet, like we both have Dobbins at 12, and for me, once I put Dobbins at 12, it was like, okay, that's the last guy in this group. Now I'm firmly on um, to the second group. Another guy that was really tough for me to rank, and I know we're going to talk about him more later, so I won't really get into into why too much here because it's obvious, is Brees Hall. Like, Brees Hall is so incredibly tough to rank for a lot of reasons right now. Health reasons, potential Dalvin Cook reasons. Like, um, just uh, Brees Hall is extremely difficult to rank. Like, there's almost no way. It's kind of one of those deals, same way with how it was with Goblin last year, where it's like I I feel the odds of him actually finishing at RB15 are pretty low. He's either going to be higher than that or lower than that, I think. I just don't really know what to do with him <laughs> yeah and for me i think uh, we'll talk about it later i think he's going to start moving up in my rankings just the more i look at it another another player i had trouble ranking and he's pretty low down on me uh is kenneth walker i yeah, i put him all the way down 21. 21 which is three spots lower than when he finished last year and he he was pretty terrible last season if you look at his like the ride he was not a good between the tackles runner. And then the Seahawks went out and added Zach Charbonnet. And I'm having a problem not overweighting that because like we talked about on the rookie pod, I think Charbonnet is a very good player. Mm -hmm. Uh, But more importantly, I think Charbonnet is a very consistent runner between the tackles. And that's where Kenneth Walker is not a consistent player. And I can't get the comparison out of my head. I really feel like he's like, a DeAndre Swift where he's bouncing a lot outside. If you go back and look at his profile last year, he was so boomer bust in every game. He had a game where he had 20 carries for like 52 yards. And it's because if you put him between the tackles, he gets stuffed. And then when he bounces outside, that's where his big games came from. And my concern is that that he's just going to do that again. And Pete Carroll and the Seahawks staff are going to put him on the bench. My last guy, then we can move on to to more specific uh, topics here. Uh, Cam Akers, I feel like that one's pretty self-explanatory because the situation, like it, 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 the way the depth chart looks right now, it should be the Cam Akers show. He should be the main guy, but you know what? He should have been that last year too, and he like almost got traded, was away from the team, like was clearly like just being kind of put in the doghouse by McVay a little bit, and then he was back and was great down the stretch. So it's just like. I guess we're just supposed to put him right back where we all had him before last season and pray to God it works out better on the whole than it did last season. Yeah, and 
Uh, he's another difficult one. I had Rashad White in there too, uh, mm-hmm. just because I think he sucks. Like I, I legitimately <laughs> don't think he's a good running back. But I, I, I kind of agree. That entire depth chart is so bereft of talent that he could very easily get 20 touches a game. He just sucks. So I, I couldn't – I put him at 27, and it's all volume-based. Mm-hmm. I really hope Tampa Bay signs one of these running backs off the street because I think any of them, including Leonard Fournette again, would outperform Rashad White. Well, Fournette, uh, his efficiency numbers were much better last season. Okay, let's jump into the actual ranks conversation here. You know, just real quick, I wanted to give uh, give a shout-out to our guy, Nick Chubb. Usually we're, we're at odds on Nick Chubb. I'm usually higher than you. We're both very pro-Nick Chubb. We're pro-Chubb on this podcast. Uh, RB2 for me, RB3 for you. I think he's like RB6 ADP, 16 overall ADP on Fantasy Pros. So I, I think people know my stance if they listen to the podcast at this point because I'm always higher on Chubb. But as a guy who's been more in locks up with the market and maybe even slightly lower at times, Dalton, what what's different? Is it just Kareem Hunt gone? Is that what's different for you right now with Chubb? Well, it's a few things. There were question marks going into last season about the efficiency of that offense, especially being led by Jacoby Brissett. Turns out it was better with Jacoby Brissett than it was with Deshaun Watson. <laughs> Uh, it's neither here nor there. I do think Deshaun Watson has to take a step forward this offseason. Uh, one, because he actually gets a full practice regiment with the Cleveland Browns. And two, he did get some pretty poor weather games uh, to start his career there in Cleveland. I think those help Nick Chubb's efficiency numbers. I, I understand there is like some Jerome Ford hive mind going about right now, and he's a good, not great player. He's certainly not Kareem Hunt. It's harder to justify Nick Chubb being off the field for Jerome Ford. I think he'll be there to spell Nick Chubb here and there. But there's also like a really heightened passing profile here available for Nick Chubb. There, Jerome Ford wasn't a pass catcher in college. He He's not going to do it for the Cleveland Browns, I don't think. I think if Nick Chubb starts catching passes, those insane, you know, 15 for 120 yards in a touchdown games suddenly become 20 touch games. And Nick Chubb always has the ability just to break one off. Mm-hmm. He's probably one of the most pure runners in football. And this is the first year we might actually get like a full season of just Nick Chubb. Yeah, I, I still think he's the best pure rusher in the NFL. And I mean, the guy, the last four years, he's been a top 12 running back all of those years, a top uh, top 10 running back in three of those years. And the only reason why the years where he was RB11 and RB9, he missed three games and four games. So, like, this is a guy who, if he if he has a relatively healthy year, you're going to get a top six season when he is splitting with Kareem Hunt. Without Kareem Hunt, like, yeah, I, I think he's got RB1 offside, obviously, because I have him at, at two overall at, at running back. But you look back at 2019, I know it's a long time ago, but that's the last time that there was no Kareem Hunt for a legitimate stretch in Cleveland, weeks one through eight when Hunt was suspended. And Chubb was the guy. Chubb averaged 18.3 points per game was the RB4. Like, I, I think we could see pretty similar production to that. But think back to that team. That was the year, I know everybody remembers it, the the year where, was it the Niners? They played like the Niners on primetime and Baker almost got murdered. Like, they played the Giants. And I think the final score was, in, it was in the teens, just brutal. Like that team was very bad. I think they were two and six through eight games. They were not a good team, not a good offense, terrible offensive line. This has the potential. And again, this is not saying a ton because he's only really been on one good offense, but this has the potential to be easily the best offense 
that that he has been on if Deshaun Watson can even remotely remember how to play football. And it, it's funny with with Chubb looking back at his at his year by year stats. You know he's finished with either eight or twelve rushing touchdowns every year. That's really consistent. <laughs> you like that. Yeah. So so you think he he's gonna probably be in the eight to twelve touchdown range again, but that's really good. He's also yet to have the explosion. Like this is a guy that could easily, easily have 16, 18 touchdowns in a season. If, if things go the right way in the red zone for him and, and for the Browns, which if anyone has owned him in fantasy, they know there has been a lot of times where either Kareem hunt gets a BS touchdown on the one yard line, or they just run like a terrible rushing play that has no chance. And he gets stuffed on the one. So even though he's had a lot of touchdowns, he's a guy that I think has the ability to score even more touchdowns. I agree. All right, on to the next guy here. Um, J.K. Dobbins, we mentioned him earlier in the props. We both have him at 12. Fantasy Pros ADP is RB18. And frankly, I, I've seen him lower, um, more like in the 20s. For I was surprised that at that ADP was RB18. I've seen him more like in the RB20 to 23 type of range a lot of places and you know for a lot of what i said above i think the ravens are going to be a really awesome offense this year i know gus edwards is still around he'll still be a factor but i just think jk dobbins is a markedly better player than gus edwards at this point and you're, you're smirking do you have a gus a gus take to get off here I just won't tolerate Gus the bus slander on this it's, podcast. It, it's not slander I, I think gus is fine but i think i think dobbins is is really good yeah i was listening to to Matt Waldman the other day or a couple a week or two ago. And, you know, he, he just had the comment that coming out of that draft class, Dobbins was his RB one, wasn't Jonathan Taylor. And that's how a lot of people felt. And I don't think people look at Dobbins as that type of player or remember he was that type of prospect. And it's been nothing about what he's done on the field. It's just injuries that have really robbed us of that. But the fact that he came back and yeah, I know like he didn't look quite right running, all of the medical people who are smarter than me about that weren't concerned about that long-term and just made it seem like he just kind of needed to get his gait back, like he has confidence back um, in that leg and that knee running. So the fact he was able to do what he did in those last four games where he was a little bit limited, like that just shows you how, how special of a running back he can be when he's healthy. Like I really do think this guy is one of the best eight running backs in football if he's healthy this season and he's going to show it. And, you know, the RB12 in my mind, that is ding him a little bit for touchdown equity because he figured Gus Edwards is going to take some of that. Lamar will take some of that along with the rushing yards. And even if he could maybe, and I hope um, he will catch more passes this year than, than previously, it's still not going to be a lot, just, you know, a small increase will help, but not, not a ton, but, you know, you think about it, he was the RB21 as a rookie, and that was with him not being used that much the first half of the season. Post-bye that year, he was the RB10. That even includes two terrible games right after the bye week where he had six combined points. Weeks 11 through 17, he was the RB8 despite missing a game, averaged 16.7 points per game, which last year was a down year for running back, but only four running backs averaged six more than that last season I, I really think his ADP to me like that's what I would have thought it would have been if he never came back for those last four games or if he came back and was just like fine but this is a guy who averaged like almost six yards a carry and had I think 300 yard rushing games down the stretch like he was awesome down the stretch last season and in the playoff game 
Yeah, I suspect that you and me are going to be uh, pretty consensus on how we feel about all of Baltimore, and part of that is related to to this ranking. I think that offense is going to be incredibly productive. Uh, I think Todd Mockin brings a running back target rate that we haven't seen with Greg Roman. In this offense, he's more likely to target running backs, which is an upside case that, I mean, has not been considered for J.K. Dobbins, not because J.K. Dobbins can't catch passes, but because Greg Roman refused to throw to the running back position. Uh, I think their their likelihood of running more 11 personnel and not stacking men on the line of scrimmage is going to result in less stacked boxes and more favorable opportunities for J.K. Dobbins. And then when you're attached to a rushing quarterback like Lamar Jackson, there's going to be a lot of linebacker movement, and it's going to give him a lot more favorable odds for busting those runs off. Uh, I, I still – looking at some guys above him, it feels like I want to move some guys down and move some – uh, you know, move him up. I feel more. You, you can you can easily talk him, talk me into him over Travis Etienne, who I have at eleven, and Ramondre Stevenson, who I have at ten. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when I'm going to talk about this, but I like I have Eckler at nine, and I feel like J.K. Dobbins has a better case from being the RB one this year than than Austin Eckler does. Really? Wow. Yeah, I I am more confident in the switch and OC benefiting J.K. Dobbins and the switch and OC benefiting Eckler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like Derrick Henry, we got. I feel like that that drop off is coming. I mean, we're just in the third season of J.K. Dobbins, and he's just had two injury hampered seasons. And even in his rookie career, he was incredibly efficient on like 120 touches. He almost had a thousand yards. Yeah, it's hard the, to do those things. By the way, he had more than 20 receptions all three years in college, which, which doesn't sound like much, but like in college, that, that's pretty pretty solid. And I would have to look, but I'd imagine he has probably never hit 20 receptions or maybe right around there in the NFL. So yeah, he definitely has, has the skill, you know, I don't know what this drop is. I just know it's Derrick Henry. So I feel like I need the need to do it now after that, that Derrick Henry slander. Let's see. When Derrick Henry's outside of the top 20, I want you each to rue this day. Yeah. We'll clip this. We'll clip this whole thing. We'll make it to a whole, a whole video. It'll be great. Oh, uh, uh, I, I don't recall that. We're, we're gonna AI is getting it. really sophisticated with its, <laughs> its voiceover impressions. <laughs> well, that is true. That is true. All right, let's move on here. Um, Dalton, I think this is probably you, you know you were more of the the hot take quote unquote guy, just looking at ADP than me with these ranks. And this is probably the hottest uh, of them all. DeAndre Swift, you have him at RB forty eight, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, he can go lower. And he can go lower. Um, his ADP is RB22. I have been RB27 and felt like I was a little, you know, going a little low on him. And then I looked at yours and was his like, ADP Whoa. is RB22? Yeah, RB22. That's silly. So we're not going to get uh, – we, we have the debate show that we'll do later. So uh, we're not going to get into the whole debate thing right now. But I'm just curious the thought process with, with Swift and this rank. I mean – there are a few things. I talked a little bit about it with Kenneth Walker. I and I feel like DeAndre Swift is endemic of this problem. He is not a consistent between the tackle runner. His rush success rate on plays that were not taken outside last offseason was uh, 28%. His EPA on rushes between the tackles last season was negative 0.24. It's pretty horrible for him to have those rushing numbers. On a, I mean, the Detroit Lions were top three offensive line. The Eagles are top one offensive line. He lost all of his work to Jamal Williams for the most part, who is a good, not great back. And the reason for that is he is not a consistent runner. And then he goes to a team in the Eagles who need 
really need a back who just does this the really easy stuff every time. He gets four yards of carry because they're up in the third quarter and they just want to run the ball out and get out of there. And DeAndre Swift's the player who's going to be trying to take it to the edge when they're up by 28 points. And the coaching staff's going to look at that and say it's not worth it. And then if we're just looking at what he was traded for, he was traded for a seventh-round pick. Yeah, That's his value with the Eagles. He's a seventh-round pick. If the Eagles drafted a player in the seventh round, nobody would be touting him as the RB22, no matter who he was. I just don't believe that he's going to be the every-down back I believe the Eagles are going to rotate guys out. I would much prefer Rashad Penny, who I know is a really good runner, who's proven to be a really good runner. His entire issue is he can't stay healthy. He'll be or great Kenneth for Gainwell, the five games he plays, I'm sure. Or Kenneth Gainwell, who was their back the entire playoff run last season. Those and are both Bo- players. And Boston Scott is still is still there, yeah. and you can start him against the Giants, and that's all you should do with him. Yeah, so I'm just I'm not going to pay for him. I I'm not going to say it's going to be like a camp cut. But he's a guy you're going to want to watch through camp. I just don't see the appeal of DeAndre Swift when he got benched for Jamal Williams in the Lions offense when they needed more big play hitters. Like, there's clearly a flaw, and we're not accounting for it. People aren't seeing it. And I just don't think he's a very talented back. He just has a lot of athleticism that leads to some flash plays and way too many people highlight watch and don't watch the full game. Yeah, it's just – it's a really tough spot to know what to do with him, frankly. Because, yeah, like you said, he we've talked about his issues as a runner quite a bit on this podcast. I think that's well documented. Got traded for a seventh-round pick, basically nothing. Um, and the Lions invested, like, the 12th overall pick to get the new DeAndre Swift in town. But then you, you also think about it, it's like, yeah, Penny's good when healthy, but he's never healthy. Swift, despite his flaws, has been productive when he's been out there. Now, he's had his own injury problems, but he's been productive for the most part, when he's been out there. And this is a guy who I think a lot of – I think both of us had him like right around the 12-13 overall rank last year. Like it's just really hard to know what to do with him because he clearly has the talent to to get the job done in a great offense. Like you can see the upside. And, you know, these are a lot of the same things that I've been saying about Miles Sanders for years. And Sanders just had a very productive – fantasy season last year too so yeah i can see this going a lot of different directions and yeah i mean he's not a guy i'm gonna take in the early 20s but maybe if he's there later on in the late 20s early 30s he's a he's a dart throw you don't want him to have to be a starter on your team for sure well right now philly is rostering five running backs who could all hypothetically start week one uh, if you include, Trey I love Sermon. that. I love you that you included yeah. Trey Sermon. He's, in he's, he's forever in my life. Um, and I will be like, this is one of those where you should watch training camp and see who's getting the first team reps. Or if every day it comes out like, well, today was Boston Scott day, tomorrow's DeAndre Swift day, et cetera, et cetera. And each one of those guys get first team reps. Um, but if he comes out and he's taking all the first team reps, I might bump him up to like the, the mid 30s. I just don't think he really fits the need that this team needs, which is like they need like a Jordan Howard almost for the second half, like just a guy who spells the end of games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and obviously like he's not going to get probably the amount of receptions that that he needs in this offense to be like a to be like the RB twenty two. Yeah, I don't think, but but yeah, it's it's a tough one. He's definitely we didn't mention earlier, but he to me is one of the tougher guys to rank as well for all that we just talked about. A guy I can't that, believe he's RB twenty two. Yeah, I mean, that's I can, such an easy fade. I, I have I have ADP pulled up right here, so let me double check it just to be sure. 
Uh, sorry, RB23. Maybe he's moved down one spot since I checked it yesterday. The people heard. <laughs> okay. Um, a guy that was pretty easy for me to rank, but we're pretty easily ahead of him um, via ADP is Isaiah Pacheco. He is RB. He's moved down a spot. RB28 in, in ADP. Now, we both have him at RB17. So I think uh, as of now, Pacheco and Dobbins are looking like two flag plants um, for this podcast. And, and and I'll start on Pacheco. Like, I think CEH is probably a pure backup. Like, <laughs> the 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 nugget in, in Nate Taylor's story in The Athletic about CEH where he was playing uh, Devontae Smith on scout team leading up to the Super Bowl was just funny. I, I, I think that alone is going to make people just push CEH down to like RB85 coming into this season. But McKinnon, we, we all love McKinnon. He's a good player. I think he's better real life for the Chiefs than fantasy. Obviously, he had the one stretch last season where he was great for both. He's capable of stretches like that. But I also think, you know, in the NBA, that the term 16-game player is used a lot, which is a guy that's better in the playoffs than the regular season. I think that applies – that same type of logic applies to McKinnon, both as just his his skill level and just his, his value to the Chiefs is a lot more in the playoffs than the regular season. But even in the playoffs last year, we saw Pacheco improve and do a lot of the things that I frankly thought were going to be reserved for Jarek McKinnon. To have to do he was in there on third downs blocking for Mahomes better than he was earlier in the season he caught five passes in the AFC championship game when if you remember I know you do but people out there if you remember um the Chiefs had no receivers like he was throwing the Marcus Kemp Patrick Mahomes was in the second half of that game Pacheco had some monster receptions and, and yak um in in that game I, I think there's sort of this misconception that Andy Reid and the Chiefs love going with a committee but i don't really think that's true i think that's just only been the case because the chiefs have not had a guy worthy of being a clear one basically since kareem hunt got cut now i'm not saying pacheco is going to be the 80 percent to the others 20 but even if it's more like a 65 to the others 35 which i kind of think it'll be in that neighborhood i think he's going to easily outproduce what his adp is right now and i i can definitely see him putting together a top 20 type of season. Like we all love Mahomes here. Mahomes is the best, but his TD rate was over 6% last year. If that were to dip just even ever so slightly, you've got to figure there's maybe some more rushing touchdown upside for Pacheco there this season too. I, I guess I'm not, I would need to hear the anti Pacheco argument. Cause I'm not really sure what I'm missing and feeling so confident about this. Maybe I'm a Homer. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously I agree with everything you've said, uh, there's just some things with the Chiefs offense that I think people are getting scared of. One, it's that we've been so high on CEH for basically three seasons now and been burned every season, except for that that glorious like five-week span last year where his TD rate was insane and everybody <laughs> knew it was going to come down. Uh, but last year, running backs not named Pacheco totaled 21 receiving or rushing touchdowns on the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think I think CEH had almost ten touchdowns in total because of that. Well, McKinnon stretch. was scoring like two touchdowns a game for yeah. like three weeks too. And I think you have to factor one. I I just think CEH has lost 
the team. He's lost a lot of the fan base. I, don't well, I mean, this is his last year. No matter what he yeah. does, this is his last year in KC. Yeah, and I'll be – I mean, I'll, I'll be surprised if he's active on game days with some of the generic prints being able to play special teams, and the Chiefs historically only run three guys out there. Uh, so that alone leads me to believe Pacheco's going to get more playing time. Like you said about McKinnon, I think he's an incredible player for Kansas City. Uh, I think the Kansas City Chiefs want to save him for that playoff run. He is 31 years old, which is, you know, 50 in running back years in yeah. the NFL. And, he, I mean, they're, they're like, hey, do you want to come for OTAs? He's like, nah, I'll see you at training camp. Like, it, yeah. you know, it, it, it's very clear, like, what, what, the, what the plan is, and for good reason. And this is also a team that will, like, that we will not run QB sneaks at the goal line. Like, there, there's a very good chance that the Kansas City Chiefs rely on Pacheco on the goal line running behind you know, some of the better offensive linemen in Creed Humphrey and uh, Smith, Trey Smith. <laughs> uh, and then if there's any improvement in the Kansas City defense and we can play with a lead in the third and fourth quarter, this, this is a team that's going to want to run the ball more and keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands just to slow the game down. And I mean, this is a, a team that started eight rookies in the Super Bowl. So there's very obvious ability for them to improve on the defensive side of the ball mm -hmm. with all those together. It's hard for me to look at Pacheco and say, you know, he's going to get worse. I mean, he didn't play the first four games of last season and he, he ended with 800 yards as a rusher. And again, before CH was drafted, Andy Reid's always been a workhorse running back guy all the way going back to his Philly days. I really do just think CEH sucked and the Chiefs have had to, to piece mill together for a while. Yeah. I believe in, you know, before CEH, there was the, the, the the kind of in between stretch there where it was Damian Williams and Darrell Williams and just all you know it, it's like yeah I I just real I I've seen multiple people like you know Ian Hartis I I love Ian think think he's awesome but he he said in his Chiefs preview that that the Chiefs are kind of known for committees and I I just don't think that's true I I, I think. I think that's just kind of been a necessity, and that doesn't mean that's going to be all Pacheco, like I said. But I, I don't think we should just just throw our hands up and say, "Oh, well, Pacheco's gonna gonna be in a frustrating committee because that's what the Chiefs always do." I, I just don't, I, yeah. I don't, I don't follow that logic. All right, go ahead. One more thing before we move on. I mean, when you just when you're getting into these like low end RB twos, you should start drafting for upside as well. Mm -hmm. Like, pitch me the upside case for Miles Sanders. Yeah, I, there, there really isn't. But well, the, I mean, case, the, the Panthers do have a pretty good offensive line, so there actually is a, a little bit. But like you know, yeah, James but it's like 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 James Connor, like James Connor's pretty yeah. pretty healthily ahead of Pacheco and ADP by by like six or seven spots. And I like James Connor. We both have him like right where his ADP is, but the upside for Pacheco is clearly much higher because I don't think they're like Pacheco might be slightly better, or maybe they're pretty similar players. But look at the offenses, like. Usually a situation, very hard to gauge, but I think we can say at least with some certainty the Cardinals are at least not going to be good. They may not be the 2-15 and 15 dumpster fire everyone makes them out to be, but they're not going to be good. And the Chiefs, I think we can say with certainty until they're not good, they're, they're going to be good. Yeah, and if Pacheco ends up playing 75% of this team's running back snaps, you, you're suddenly like at a highly profitable margin. Oh yeah, yeah. It, if Pacheco is a true three-down workhorse for the Chiefs, he's what everybody wants Ch to be. He he's RB six, you know, like like the very that's in his range of outcomes. Absolutely. All right, Brees Hall. Now we're in lockstep here, so no, and we're even in lockstep with ADP, so no major disagreement 
on on either side really here. But I just thought it would be worthwhile to have the Brees Hall conversation because I, I think to me this is going to be one of the more difficult um, guys to rank and get to figure out if you want to draft him and just all, all of that thing. The, the profile for him is just going to be one of those. It's the classic coming off the ACL. It's just tough to know what to do with guys like that. And then you have the added wrinkle that Ian Rappaport goes on Pat McAfee uh, yesterday. So if you're listening to this podcast on Tuesday of, of this week and says, quote, I think Brees Hall is going to be around the start of the season, be ready around the start of the season, but I wouldn't guarantee he's going to play week one. That's why Dalvin Cook to the Jets makes a lot of sense to me, which, you know, if you get Brees in like week two or three, I think you're feeling great about that. We're feeling great about him being in the RB 13, 15 type of range. But like if Dalvin Cook goes there, like, what do we do with Brees in that situation? What do we do with Dalvin Cook? Where like if Cook goes somewhere else, it wouldn't be crazy to have Cook ahead of Brees Hall, just period, in ranks. I don't know what we do if they're in the same backfield. And then like just looking at their backfield, if they bring in Dalvin Cook, like you mentioned the Chiefs go with three running backs on game day. I don't know if uh, most other teams go with four. But this would leave the Jets with five legitimate running backs that could be active on game day. So something would have to give in that backfield. And we know, apparently, you know, in quotations, the Jets were interested in Jameer Gibbs early. So it's just there's a lot of smoke that's not making me feel great about Brees. But everybody, including the insiders, makes me feel like he's going to be ready early in the season. I, I, just, I don't know what to do at this point, and this is going to be one – uh, to follow, but Dalton, I'm curious, uh, kind of your takeaway, your thoughts. I know you said that you'll probably be moving him up, and he is definitely a guy that has upward mobility with positive reports, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, the first thing here that kind of sticks out to me is that out of both of us, the only other running back on this team that we even ranked is Israel Abacanada, yep. and you ranked him at like 59 or so. Yeah. Um, it's just, if like, when we do that, it means we don't really think any of those guys are one good or two going to do anything significant for it, your fantasy it, team. It's funny though, because like Michael Carter has been good and um Zonovan Knight when he played last year was like pretty good for fantasy. So it's funny that those guys are three and four, but I, I don't know. I'm just kind of riding the positive buzz right now and we'll we'll see how things shape up in training camp. And just you don't win the fantasy playoffs in September, but if Brees Hall starts off slower, doesn't even play the first three games, like you, you probably account for that. And his ADP is definitely counting for that because if he played a full season last year, he's probably RB like one or two. Yeah, with the the number of one hundred yard games he was ripping off, and then and if he played the full season last year, I think there's a legitimate chance he's the number one overall pick in, yeah. in drafts this year for sure. And then you add in like a substantial improvement in quarterback play. And I do not like Nathaniel Hackett. I saw what he did to Denver. <laughs> um, however, during his time as offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, Packers, coordinator. He was coordinator. just kind of along for the ride. And hopefully well, that's the case this time. They ranked top five in yards or in targets to running backs over that time frame. One of those years, including uh, big boy Eddie Lacy. Uh, <laughs> so they, there's like a really, really big upside case for Brees Hall. And Right, I mean, like right now, I have him and Najee Harris basically line in line, and that just feels wrong. Um, I I feel like Brees Hall should sneak into like my top ten, 
by the by the end of this offseason, even if he's not playing the first couple weeks of the NFL, it, it doesn't really matter to me. It was a clean ACL tear. He, he'll be healthy at some point in the season, in my opinion. And this this Packers or this Jets offense should really be putting up points with Aaron Rodgers. So I think I need to get higher on him. I think I'd want to be above the market on him too. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fascinating to see how the market treats he and Javante Williams because obviously there's a big gap right now between those two. And I think that's in large part because we know Javante had the, the more than just the ACL tear. And we, you, you said clean ACL tear. I just don't feel like I haven't heard too many details really uh, about Brees' injury, not like with Javante's. So maybe that's a good thing. I, I just don't really know, but okay, let's breeze through. I just wanted to touch on Travis Etienne and Joe Mixon real quick. And then we can have a pretty quick tight end conversation because tight end as usual, not super interesting. Um, quite frankly, um Travis Etienne so Dalton you have him um we pull the ranks back up here down at like RB19 is that right uh 16 16 so you're you're a little below you know I'm up at RB11 which is kind of more in in lockstep I think let me pull his ADP back up here oh I do not have it um no I'm a little bit no, no, never mind. I'm confusing. I, I think I'm about in lockstep and and you're a little bit lower, but I'm just curious what, what your concerns are um, with, with ETN heading into his second year because he was a rookie last year. Yeah, I, the first thing I want to say is Tank Bigsby is not my concern because um, I think that's where a lot of people are drawing their concern from it. I don't think Tank Bigsby is a very good player. Mm-hmm. I don't really. We, we, but we both have Dearness Johnson slightly ahead in, in yes. our ranks. Yes. Um, and I do think Dearness is better. Uh, last year, there were there was like a lot of inefficiency to the underlying stats of Travis Etienne and what was mm-hmm. a pretty good Jacksonville offense. He was above the or he was below the market when it came to yards per route run. So he wasn't good as a pass catcher. He was below the market on open field misses. So he wasn't good at making guys miss. And then I think this offensive line is taking a major step back. They obviously lost Taylor to the Kansas City Chiefs, and Tim mm-hmm. Cam Robinson has gotten suspended. So they're going to be less holes for him to hit. And then there were several moments in the season where he really just hurt the, the team. I mean, you go to like week one where he misses a wide open touchdown catch. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, I have a note here that he had zero receiving touchdowns, and I'm now remembering that he dropped at least yeah. one, maybe two last year. I believe we bet like a 0. 0.5 um, <laughs> for him to get receiving touchdowns. Probably. And you add that up with they do go out and draft running back. I do think Dearness Johnson and Michael Hasty are good running backs to not play three downs, but to take away time from him. And then you add Calvin Ridley to this offense. It's hard to justify, you know, Travis Etienne getting more touches. So I would just prefer guys around him who I'm more trustworthy that they're talented or that I can pencil them in for a good amount of work. And I can do that with guys like Najee Harris. I think Stevenson's more talented. I mean, I even I would probably feel comfortable making like a, a straight up bet that Jameer Gibbs is finishes the season above Travis Etienne. Um, I think you gotta change your ranks then, bud. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. Uh, it's early, but it's just overall, I'm not feeling comfortable with Travis Etienne. I just don't know if he's the guy we thought he was. And it seems like Liz Frank injuries are like a continuous problem in the NFL the more I read into it. So I just – I don't really want to be a part of him, and I'm okay with not being a part of it. Well, um, I think ETN has clearly made his way onto our debate show later 
later uh, next month, so I won't won't say too much here. But I'm going to become I, a tank Bigsby stand over the next one. <laughs> I'm not I'm not too concerned um, with ETN or the guys they added or you know a- anything like that. I actually like that they added guys because he, while his total touches aren't that high, he's like at around 250 last year. He hardly played for the first couple of weeks and didn't have double digit fantasy points until week five. So once he started playing, he was really on the field a lot. And that is concerning. And I'm glad for that to come down for, for his health, uh, quite frankly, but Joe Mixon to end uh, the running back conversation today. So I think there's a, a thought out there and this is how you have it ranked. And I'm not that far off to be clear that Joe Mixon just kind of by default is set up for an RB1 type of season, which, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue just based on the setup. He They draft Chase Brown, who wasn't like one of our favorite prospects by any means in this draft. They let Samaje Pirine walk to the Broncos. They don't bring in really any other veteran yet. Now we'll see if they bring in like a Leonard Fournette on the extremely cheap. That, that wouldn't shock me here, and maybe that impacts the rank. A little bit, but I'll I'll give the the anti mix and the anti RB one mix and take first, and I have him at sixteen. I even feel a little bit uneasy. You know, it's kind of like what your argument was with Derrick Henry last year is that the underlying metrics are starting to not look quite as good for Joe Mixon. So he was sixty first in what Player Profiler calls true yards per carry at three point seven, which basically that just takes out long runs and makes sounds it- like a bullshit stat. <laughs> takes out long runs and makes it so like a 50 yard run doesn't help your yards per carry. He was only 3.9 yards per carry, even outside of that. So 2.8% breakaway run percentage was 47th in the NFL. He was 49th in evaded tackles, 43rd in yards created per touch. That's all playing against pretty light boxes in 2021. He was seventh in evaded tackles. So 49th to seventh. And he had 76 evaded tackles compared to just 29 last season or 28 last season. And his breakaway run percentage was almost double in 2021. What it is in 2022, he was the RB 13 last season, but we all know 27% of that production came in one fifty-five point swoop that he had. He was very useful last season, but he was kind of stuck in the eight to 14 points per game outside of the big game. So I love the opportunity. I love the offense. I think he's a safe player this year if the situation stays the same to be like a very solid RB2. But I think we kind of saw him turn into a different player last year that doesn't quite have that explosion that we're used to seeing with Joe Mixon. Yeah, and and I hear that. And I think part of his ADP is people thinking he's not going to be on the Bengals at the start of the season. And I'm at this going, point, like I, I, it's it's June. Yeah. Like what? Like what are they doing? You know, yeah, where, where and are I there? Agree. Uh, and then below him on that roster is like, I, I, you can be excited for Trace Chase Brown, I guess, but he, he's an undrafted free agent. They have Chris Evans, who's been dust for two seasons now. And you would really on Henderson. You would really think a team serious about the Super Bowl would go sign just another veteran, just some yeah. kind of veteran. And so part of it is it's just a good running back on a good offense, and he probably isn't what he, his former self was, but I still think he's a very talented running back. Um, and I think part of his his issues last offseason or last season were a result of just a poor offensive line play, and I think that offensive line a year together gets a little better. 
but really I have him there because he, I still think he has some high touchdown equity in this offense. Mm-hmm. And I can oh, trust yeah. for that. Yep. For sure. We don't feel too differently, but I, it is interesting. You know, the, the drop off is kind of being baked into his price, maybe a little bit. Cause yeah, if this like heading into last season, if there was no Samadre Pirine, Mixon is like what RB five probably. Yeah. So I think he's pretty fairly priced right now. I, I just, uh, maybe I'm a, a tick lower or maybe just a little bit more concerned than the market. Okay. Let's move the tight end really quickly before we get out of here. We can start with our guy, Travis Kelsey. Obviously the conversation with him is not should he be tight end one. He outscored Mark Andrews by hundred points last season. Of course the guy is tight end one, but should he be six overall Dalton, which is what his ADP is right now. The number six overall player in fantasy. Uh, I think he should go after the top four wide receivers, those being Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and then maybe CMC. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. he belongs there. Like I said, start of the show, I think running back is pretty flat for a while. So reaching on one this year, I don't think it's really a great strategy for you as much as like one of the, the six best dropped to you in the second round. Mm-hmm. Uh, positional advantage is still there. Wide receiver room in Kansas City definitely hasn't gotten any better. It's interesting, like it was last offseason, about who's going yeah. to do what. Um, and then I I just – you can't factor in the age drop-off till it happens with this yeah. guy. I mean, he just played a full – and I mean, he played every game season without slowing down. I mean, he was the number one target earner for the Chiefs through all the playoffs. He played all six, 17 games in the season – and he led the Chiefs in yards and targets by a large margin. Mm-hmm. I just don't see why, you know, if it, it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, he's going to be every bit the clear-cut one he was last season. Like you said, I'm I'm not baking in the age thing until it actually happens. We're, we're to that point. We're past being to that point with, with Kelsey uh, at this point. You know, his, his total is last season, 254.5 points and basically 16 points a game. That was wide receiver four on the season so yeah it's not like yeah you have this great positional advantage but he is more like the 13th overall player like no like he legitimately was worthy would have been worthy of a top six pick last season if you took him there maybe i could see him being a spot or two lower if we have clarity that guys like josh jacobs and zaquan barkley are going to play week one the, the contract stuff going on there that we didn't really talk about today, but we're still so far out on that that I think we'll have more time, hopefully, to, to see things unfold there. But, but yeah, I I think that that price is is about right for Kelsey personally. Yeah, and I mean, I just don't see why you're just trying to overthink it if you're, if you're not taking him, especially mm-hmm. the later half of the first round. Yep. Okay, Darren Waller. So you have him at tight end three. I have him at tight end eight. On the surface, that sounds like a big difference. Really, like, (laughs) it's not. It's really probably not. But I would say that I am probably just more concerned about the health stuff with Waller than you are. Because yeah, if you could guarantee me 15 games, very easily, he's tight end three or four probably heading into the season. But he's played 20 games the last two years. He's entering his age 31 season. A lot of what he's missed with has been lower body stuff, hamstring, ankle, knee. Like those are things that don't get better with age. He has about a thousand yards and five touchdowns in those 20 games. It's not just been injuries. It's when he's been out there. The production has dropped off a little bit the last couple of years too. So, I mean, I like Waller. I think he has the chance to be really good in this offense, but 
I guess it's a, it, tight end three just to me means that you're going to have to take him like in the fourth or fifth round. And I know that's not necessarily what you're saying, but I think if someone like it just in a, an average draft, someone's going to take their tight end three there. And I just, that that's a scary proposition uh, for me with Darren Waller with his health the last couple of years. Yeah. Right now he goes 78th overall. Um, and I think you could a little lower than I would have thought based on yeah. the tight end three. You can probably get him in the sixth round um, with my ranking, like kind of baking in, going around ahead to get him. Uh, I mean, by I think you agree with this uh, just based on what you said, but by a large margin, he's the best pass catcher in New York. Yeah. Uh, and last season, uh, Hodgkins, Slayton, Shepard all had different top 20 weeks in this offense. Uh, Daniel Jones needs target earner, and Brian Dabble is a really, really good offensive-minded coach, and I think he's going to generate a lot of openings for Darren Waller. And it's just – I mean, in my opinion, a lot of these other guys here, like even George Kittle, when you look at his splits with Debo healthy, wasn't like a breakaway week-winning tight end. Kyle Pitts, a lot of questions about. Pratt Firemuth is good, not great. All those guys on that list, like they 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 are good picks, but there's a a real chance that if Darren Waller plays all 17 games, he he finishes like wide receiver two or tight end two in the NFL yeah. by a pretty good margin, and that's part of the reason why I would be I would rather be more aggressive in taking him because I think the replacement level for a lot of the guys underneath him in my rankings is easy to get off waiver wires, but if Darren Waller is healthy, I think getting him off waiver wires is way more difficult to get the same value. I'm I'm seeing a Dallas Goddard versus Darren Waller bet in our future. You have Dallas Goddard cleared down at tight end nine. He he is more like a tight end five ish type of range. I have him actually at tight end five myself. So I I don't know. I, I'm a little bit. I I say I'm surprised, but I feel like you're just you're lower on Goddard pretty much year in and year out. You've just never been a Dallas Goddard guy. I'm just not a fan. I think he's a good player and he's in a great offense. I think he's an okay player in a great offense. I think I think just like last year with the debate on Gabe Davis, I don't think the answer to this offense is more Goddard. I think it's more Smith, A.J. Brown. That doesn't have to be more, but that's about what he finished last year, where, where he is being ranked right now and where he's ranked by me. I think last year he was 12, but I think he got injured. For well, but I think like points per game, I guess. I mean. Yeah, I mean, he's good, not great. Uh, again, I I think there's a better upside case for some of the guys around him. I did write my notes. I'll probably flip him and Evan Ingram um, because I, I don't want to do that. Good, because Evan I Ingram. felt a little disrespectful. I, I don't want to do that, Evan Ingram. That felt like you were trying to make a point. No, no. It, it just came out that way when I wrote them down. Um, no, I do think, like, if if I were to go head-to-head with guys lower than him, I think I'd rather have Higby at this point because I think Higby. Really? Yeah, I, I do. See, I have Higby at 16, and it's not necessarily because I think Higby is going to finish tight end 16, but my philosophy once I got past like David Njoku at 10 was I'm going to put the guys who I think just have more upside, which LOL, Irv Smith, uh, Chica Conquo, Dalton Kincaid, you know, Dulcich, and you know, we have similar guys, different order kind of in that range. I went with the upside guys, you know, thinking that my strategy would be as if I, if I waited to take a tight end, until that range, I would probably draft one of those guys and know that Tyler Higby is out there on waivers. Or if I have a big enough roster, I draft one of those guys and draft a guy like Higby or like Mike Gasecki. Like I, I think I want to take the upside shot on on the talented, the younger, more talented guys in that range. 
Yeah, I think it's really possible Higby finishes with a 20% target share and the Rams pass a lot looking <laughs> at that that offense. Uh, and then, uh, well, I mean, like, just to get some names out there with Chig, it, how many how many seasons are we going to do this Tennessee tight end thing? It was Ferkser a couple years ago. It's like, yeah, but, yeah, but, Chig, but Chig is, like, actually good. I, I know, but it, it's, it's – Oh, this guy has really efficient route route running numbers. His target per route run is super good. That's because they pass the ball twenty times a game, and the the Tennessee Titans just are really good at those high end efficiency numbers. Every player that plays for them have high end efficiency numbers. You, and then you, like, you don't feel at all nervous about having Russell Wilson's tight end above him, though. No, it's Russell season. I maybe I'll even put Taysom you know, Hill in front of him. You know, get a couple of QB reps out there. It's really rare to see a guy who's not coming off injury be the leading bet getter for comeback player of the year. But like 25% of the market has Russell Wilson at like plus 2,800. I saw yesterday be comeback player of the year. It, it's very difficult to be so bad that you get that many bets after playing every game the year before. I love it. <laughs> um, and more power to him. Let Russ cook. Before we get out of here, I would – be remiss if I didn't just give my guy Irv Smith like his 10 seconds of of shine here. This is 90% situation, 10%. I still think Irv has some athletic upside and has shown some good stuff in the very limited amount of time he's been on the field. Oh, thank you, Johnny. Love that. Um, he, this is it. Like, this is the chance for Irv Smith. If you can't do it here, whether it's injury or or other, like, you're just done. Like, you're just done for fantasy. You're probably done as a starting tight end in the NFL. Like, this – Hayden Hurst was able to cash this in as, like, a top 12-ish type of tight end, the you know, last year. And then the tight end who I can't even think of his name that went to the Jets also was very fantasy relevant. CJ uh, Uzuma. Yeah, Uzuma. So, like, this is your chance, dude. It's now or never. You, you've got everything you could ask for. They have no other good tight ends on the roster. Well, Irv isn't probably really even a good tight end, but no other tight ends that should start over Irv on the roster. Like, this has got to be a top 15 type of season for, for Irv to, to stay on the fantasy radar past this year. You know what's funny? And I I have now penciled this in into my mind that it's going <laughs> to happen. Uh, the Cardinals beat reporters are listing Zach Ertz as like a potential camp cut. Oh, uh, And no. if the Bengals went out and signed like post ACL tear Zach Ertz and week five, he's starting out there and Irv Smith is back to the bench. I think that would be the most hilarious thing that could happen. And I think it's very possible. You know what? If that, ha- if that happens, it's not his fault. We always have next year. Don, <laughs> <laughs> no, anything else to add before we jump out of here? I think that's all. I'm excited to get to quarterbacks and wide receivers next yeah. year. I think that's more fun than, than running back tight end. Yeah. Tight end really just is, is a drag. I'm glad we only spent about 15 minutes on that. And that is going to do it for episode 106 of the half point per podcast. Like Dalton said, we've got quarterback and wide receiver ranks coming out next week. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Half Point Per Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube, the link to all those things in the show notes. You know, if you're a YouTube sub or just go watch on the YouTube, like this week, I'll have the spreadsheet of our ranks up periodically through the show if you want to follow along that way. Also, the ranks will be in the show notes as well and the show is available on spotify apple Podcasts, anywhere else you listen to your podcast thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you all again next week Bye.